there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode. I'm super-duper excited for our guest here today. Uh, this is a performance marketer who has been through the gamut. And so, meaning she's worked with large brands like GE and Showtime. She's worked on campaigns that are more you know, emotional, more emotions-driven versus the performance side of things. Like She's just really, really well-rounded. She knows analytics. She knows CDP. She knows... Uh, multi-touch attribution. She's just a real badass. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Elise Berger, head of performance marketing for earnest.com. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you, Chris. I love the introduction. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm really excited to be speaking with you today. I want to have all types of conversations, but you know how we like to start with one of your biggest secrets. I think that is such a big issue. Brands are not using their first party data in any type of meaningful way. Um, whether they're just kind of sitting on this huge mountain of it, just being basically treating it like a CRM, like, great, we've got all this data, all these fields with, you know, we know exactly when someone came to us and why, and did they call us and what did they have complaints? What was their issue? Um, and so I think that it's a huge miss that we're maybe in this industry as a whole using first-party data either just to have or just for that that reporting, that attribution. After the marketing is done, what happened? Then we're looking at our first-party data. But I think right. we need to bring it to the forefront of everything we're doing. Why do you think that's the case? Like, Because brands are generally smart. I know they can be slow or silly <laughs> at times, but like, yeah. why is it the case that nobody's using that first-party data? Um, so from what I've seen is that honestly, there's a little bit of, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it's very, to be able to take your first party data, um, and utilize a CDP, a customer data platform in a manner in which you're able to segment out your data, cluster it and get real audience insights about your consumers. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, it's time consuming. You need a budget for the infrastructure to do that. You need an analytics team to do that. I think, you know, the best things that brands could possibly do, and this is like pie in the sky, my dream as a marketer to come into a brand and be like, wow, you guys have it all figured out, would be, you know, the the beauty of a CDP is that it's a bunch of different data sources that have crosswalks that come together. And then you can use all of that beautiful, rich data to cut and dice it and slice it however you want to gain insights and learnings that can make your marketing better, make your company better. Um, and so I think the bit, the best thing a brand could do, right, is in my opinion, is you have your CVP and you have all your rich customer data in there, all your first party data. And there's tons and tons and tons of partners out there that will, you can procure data from them. It's all, you know, CCPA or privacy compliant that can be ingested into your CDP. And then you can run those big analyses across, okay, you know, you can purchase some demographic psychographic data that maps to your CDP. And then you can really understand like, okay, of my consumers, 
what do they like? Where are they consuming content? You know, how can I cluster them and get an idea of like, these are my core consumers. These are the people who are going to come back no matter what. And these are the people who are dabbling that maybe need a little more convincing and I should really focus on them in my prospecting, my acquisition efforts. And, but that's hard, right? That takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy resources. Um, but I think if a marketer, you know, wanted to get started tomorrow in, in digging into a little bit more of their first party data, I would say there's, there's really affordable, um, turnkey solutions out there. Like a distillery comes to mind where they, you know, they'll, they'll pixel your site and do some audience work for you not just your homepage, but, you know, any of your content, your thank you page, so you can get a little bit of a differentiation on who's coming to my site and hanging out, who's actually converting um, from a more, you know, qualitative data level about about your audiences. Um, Interesting. So, so, yeah, because that was my next question is like, okay, so like, let's say that I'm a brand, I'm listening to this, I'm picking up yeah. what you're putting down. What do I do? <laughs> so yeah. I can, I can get in touch with the distillery let's pretend that CDP is like on the roadmap, but not exactly going to happen tomorrow. Correct. Is distillery a short-term thing that I might be able to do? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a short-term thing. I've used them in the past on both on the agency side and the brand side. Um, and it was really helpful just to understand a little bit more of like, okay, you know, I have this, you know, and, and every brand should be doing their own targeting work regardless, but when it comes to the actual data, the actual first party data of who's who's already aware of you and what that customer base looks like, um, it's really hard to get to get beyond like where they came from, how long they spent on your site, the site analytics, all that kind of stuff to get into that more qualitative psychographic demographic data about them so that you can not not just figure out who to target, but also make your campaigns more effective that's where you start to get into all the best practices that performance marketers live by right you know have consistent messaging be personal make sure you're refreshing things make sure that the the pull through is there from exposure to your site experience to life cycle right you want the consumer to feel like they're dealing with one cohesive company um but it's almost like how can you make it more personal how can you make that journey really impactful if you don't know what they're looking for, why they're there, or who you're talking to. Interesting. Um, so, so I would say that distillery is like a pixel that you can place on your site, yeah. on the homepage, or on any of your pages, and it will enrich your analytics data with person. I mean, not person, not 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 personal. Yeah, not personal, privacy but data, but qualitative. general. Like there, yes. here's their affinity segments. Here are their. Does it show you other sites that they've visited? Yes. Yeah. So it'll it'll show you kind of that whole path to uh, path to conversion or or path to visit, um, where they're frequenting, where they live, you know, what type, what demographic stream do they fall into? Um, and it depends on, you know, special ad category, what you're allowed to look into on the consumer. If you know you're a bank or something in lending, you're gonna have limited um, Intel versus if you're more CPG or product based, um, mm -hmm. because they're very, you know, they're very sensitive and compliant in that way. But, um, I would say it's a great way for brands to get started. And, and I like to think of that as well, what you said before, like it's constantly a roadmap, right? You can do something in the short term that'll enrich your campaigns, make your marketing efforts, you know, maybe just a little bit more successful, but that long-term roadmap of, and that, and, and a, a CDP is like a, 
it's like a company undertaking, right? That's a big deal. And right. it'll really benefit marketers, but you kind of have to go on a roadshow and convince people that it's it's worth it and it's yeah, something that the company should invest in. Yeah, because it's like, well, we've got CRM, right? We've got, you know, these other we've got marketing automation, we've got these other systems. What do we need CDP for? Right. Uh, and I, I know that that conversation happens. So interesting. So distillery will include that in the show notes and I'm, I might check it out also. Yes. Uh, and it, and it provides uh, data on an individual level or more so like on an it's, aggregate level. It's ag- it's cohort level. Um, It won't be on like the individual that you won't be able to see the PII in terms of like the IP address they came from or any of that kind of stuff. Cause they have to be obviously um, CCPA compliant and just in general privacy compliant with what they're showing you. Um, but I think it's actually the last time I used it, it was, it could be both managed service and, um, self-service platform where you could kind of jump in and see the analytics on a day-to-day basis and just kind of understand a little bit more about who's actually coming to your site. Um, and I think it helped us with some, with some big changes at the time I was working on a travel, a travel client of a big hotel and, you know, we had this aspirational target of these 22 to 25 year olds who were coming with their friends and spending a lot of money at the bars and restaurants. And that was who we wanted. Right. But when we ran the distillery, we were like, okay, we're really getting 50 to 60 year old uh, <laughs> empty nester couples who are coming and having a great time. And that's great. Right. That's, that's awesome. That's our core. And we don't want to ignore yeah. them, but we don't necessarily need to go out there and show them our videos or show them our prospecting tactics because they don't need convincing to come here. But right. that other generation, that that younger core group of consumers that are like dabbling, looking at us a little bit, how can we, what do they care about? And right. what do they care about when they go to a hotel, go with their friends? How can we enrich their experience and then show them that so that they want to come to come stay yeah. with us? Um, so so like, it was really exclude, helpful in that way. You're like, exclude empty nesters. Add millennials, change yeah. the landing page. <laughs> yes, bachelor at parties, bachelor parties. Like we can keep all the other stuff. Um, but yeah, even in, even in just that way, I think it can make a huge difference for how you are approaching your audiences. Um, and then that should make your performance better, right? So um, that's awesome. I think I would say that's my that's my maybe not secret because I think people will hear this and be like, yeah, duh, that makes sense. But more just like, how do we not talk about that a little more? Well, I think that, I think it was amazing, honestly. And I think you're very smart. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> um, I want to transition. I want to hear about some of your biggest wins in your career, like some of the best campaigns or the best ideas. And they could be related to CDP or at first party data or not. But I'm just curious, sure. like, like, if you think back on your career, which has been... You know, I know you've been in the game for a while, but what are some of the the wins that you're most uh, proud of? Yeah, no, it's a it's an awesome question, and I love I love reflecting on on that and thinking. You know, I think marketing the industry, digital performance, and specifically, is like it evolved so much that something we thought was like the most game changing, amazing thing back then is like now. I'm like I I don't think I would ever do that again. But yeah. I would say that there's still some things that stick out to me that just being like you know, that was why I, I got into it. Right. And I would say, um, one thing that always sticks out to me when people ask me this question of just what am I proud of or, or, you know, what's the best campaign campaign I've ever done. Um, years and years ago, I was working on GE appliances 
And we, um, and I think this was a little bit before the time of, before the time of TikTok, before the time of more of this like radical openness and sharing that was happening on social platforms. And back then we, we were doing this campaign, um, about their, their washer dryer and how they will keep tumbling or keep spinning if you're too busy to get your clothes out. And I think the concept was that, you know, GD will give time back to, to your family. Um, but how do we make that actually like something that people align the brand with that concept of like, we're trying to, you know, life's busy, life's hard enough. How can GE be that brand that you're like, oh yeah, they make my life easier kind of thing. And we did this, um, we did this huge campaign that focused on, we called them at the, at the time, mom entrepreneurs, and they were moms who own their own businesses. And we did a huge video series on them. And, you know, the product wasn't overtly featured. It was really more about these women and their stories and how they balance everything. And then we ended up doing a a really big event in New York City with a panel um, where all these women were featured and kind of, you know, worshipped by the attendees, not for being a mom or for being an entrepreneur, but for both, for for making it all happen um, and being very raw and very honest about the fact that like, really freaking hard to make that all happen in one day all the time. Um, And I think it just, you know, even as a performance marketer now that is just very routed in data and, and digging into quick turns and did this work, did it not, uh, you know, I am still a marketer at heart. So I do still see so much value in, in that engagement, that alignment, that goodwill that we were able to create in, in something like that. Um, and I think that that was super important and something I'm super proud of. Um, but then I think like the biggest win over the last few years has really been this, this hyper focus on performance marketing and what that actually means. Um, I think I said it before that people, people hear performance. And if you haven't been in marketing for a long time, I think you just think, oh, performance means I'm getting super cheap CPMs on social, right? I'm running these great campaigns that are super, super cheap and I'm getting all these impressions and it's amazing. And I'm, you kind of have to have, whether it's clients or people you work with at your brand, take a step back to realize like, that's, that doesn't mean performance, right? Um, performance, and I'm going to borrow a, a saying from one of my old bosses that he definitely borrowed from someone else. But I think performance is this idea of like sales overnight and brand over time, right? You should be driving um, those short-term sales, that short-term revenue, that profit, profit positive, hopefully profit neutral, if you're still testing, figuring things out, Um but I think that that big win for me over the last few years has been that utilization of multi-touch attribution to understand, you know, okay, if our display campaigns, when we look at multi-touch, are super, super efficient, totally profit positive because they are constantly a touch point for our consumers on their journey to conversion, then that means we can probably like have a little bit of a higher allowable in connected TV when we're testing there. Um, or we can have a higher last touch allowable for certain tactics because we know that they are contributing to this journey. Um, and then that's how you can run affiliate and brand search all the live long day and probably be profit positive and see real good efficiencies, but that's not how you grow. Um, and so I think that the big win for me over the last few years has been this, this, you know, my soapbox of like performance marketing should be not just your day to day efficiencies and and making sure those numbers stay where you want them to stay. But it's also where are you very sure it's working? 
leave that as it is, let that keep working, let that keep running, but allow that to enable you to make some smart bets in other places so that you can slowly, doesn't have to be quickly, but very slowly continue to grow your brand. If your budget is small, you're not running huge national TV campaigns or something like that. There is still a way to grow your brand. You just have to use the data to do that. And so I think that's been the biggest win for me the last few years was figuring all that out um, and, and the technology catching up to, to be able to do it. Well, it's interesting that the two stories that you just told were like pretty much exactly opposite of one another. Like yep. <laughs> one, one was super performance, super data first. The other one with the GE, like I was getting tingle, tingly a little bit as you were telling that story because it was right. like, you know, pulling on my heartstrings. I know. But what do you call that? Is there a name? Is there a name for that? So on this side, it's performance. Performance. Is there, I mean, um, it's not brand. There's got to be a word for that, like that, like emotion driven. Totally. Marketing. Um, I mean, I think I think of it as as that goodwill, right? Like, or or even just that. Um, the, the po- things that for, that drive positive association for the brand, um, and that and and honestly, empathy marketing. I would say, um, I think you know we sometimes as performance marketers don't get to do that much empathy marketing in terms of like what what is what is going to make people tug on their heartstrings, what is going to give people the tingles, and then associate that brand with that warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, and so I think that that was like that would be. I would say a combination of all those is probably what I would tie to the GE example. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to see both sides and have done both in my career often. But that makes um, you a dangerous human being. Like <laughs> if you know performance marketing well, and you understand empathy marketing. I can tell you anything. <laughs> pretty much. You can sell me anything. You can, you can deliver ads to me, right? probably in the right moment <laughs> yeah and hopefully. you can track everything that i do um but no it's the it's that yin and yang i find a lot of times that that the best marketers have like like do you know any developers that can also design or any designers that can also write copy like when sometimes when you meet those unicorn type folks it's like you can do some real damage. Yeah. Oh, but that's yeah. how I feel about you. Oh, thank you. That's actually really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I think honestly, like I've just been very, very, I've worked really hard, obviously. So I don't want to sell myself short in that capacity, but also I've just been really um, lucky with the opportunities that I've kept an eye out for in my career. I started my career in offline, total just offline brand strategy, out of home, TV, nothing having to do with digital. Um, but I kind of was always like peeking over the fence at like what the digital teams were doing. And I was like, that just seems so cool. And they're experts in it and they understand data and tagging. And they're talking about things that I don't understand when they're talking about it. And I hate that. <laughs> um, and like, I want to be the expert in it. I don't want, I don't want to feel like someone has to tell me, um, oh yeah, trust me, we're, you know, we're spending your money, right? We're doing this, we're doing that. And so I feel like that was a huge initiative for me at that time to be like, listen, I know I'm already a few years in and I'm a little seasoned when it comes to like, you know, the media trajectory of a career. Um, but I want to switch over to digital. Like, can I, can I do that? And I did. And it was hard because 
you know, I, I had to retrain my brain. I had people working for me that I was managing who knew more than I did. So that was a really good exercise in, in running a team in a very humble way. <laughs> um, but I think that that was a, one of the most pivotal steps I've ever made was, okay, great. Brain strategy is super important. Understanding holistic marketing and how everything works together is so important. You know, it's, it's an invaluable skill. But at a certain point, I wanted to roll up my sleeves and get into the nitty gritty, which I don't think you can really do unless you are a performance marketer. Um, Because then you are just like, I always joke with my teams um, that as a, as a marketer, specifically a performance marketer in some, in some way, you're kind of, you're a marketer, you are a little bit of a psychologist, you are a budget analyst, you're an accountant. You are a researcher. Um, you kind of wear all these hats because you can't put together an effective marketing campaign without all of those things, right? You need to understand people. Um, you need to understand your industry and changes that are going to happen. Like that's why I love when I, you know, I get folks who have worked on the agency side because I think they've worked in so many verticals that they've had to train their brains to immediately adapt to like, okay. I understand literally everything about hotels now. And now I understand everything about dog food. And now I understand everything about mortgages and and when people need them. And I understand HELOCs and refis and all these things. And it's like, that is crazy experience to bring to a, a role as a performance marketer because so much of it is like, what's going on? Like right now I work at Ernest. And, you know, a ton of what we're doing, we just had a huge announcement from the president two days ago about student loan forgiveness and, and, you know, some of that forgiveness and the extension of the CARES Act. And, you know, we, we had an idea that that's what was going to happen. You have to be very tuned in to what's going on in your industry. Otherwise, and I think I would say this is every marketer's challenge is time, right? A campaign comes up, a concept in the industry comes up, something happens that, you know, as performance marketers, we all are really good at pivoting, getting things in market super fast. But I do think we'd all love the chance to make hard hitting creative, do our targeting the right way, find the right platforms to even run on um, for that message. You know, I think we'd all love that luxury of time. And it was super important when I was working in mortgages because we, we just came out of the pandemic. Everyone had refinanced. Um, and it was kind of this like waiting game of like, when is that going to stop? When are people going to, when is the vast majority of the country not going to benefit from a refinance anymore? Cause the rates have changed so much. And when are we going to need to shift to like a home buying message, more of that empathy marketing, you're purchasing your first house, let us help you. It's confusing. Um, or the idea of cash out in your, and finding equity in your home. Um, and I think some companies like, I would say a rocket mortgage, like they do it incredibly. They were ready with that cash out messaging. The second rates started to change because obviously they did their research and they had, whether it be a market analyst or someone internally that was like, hey guys, you know, this impacts everybody. It impacts products. It impacts the company at large and and what we support, but also it impacts marketing. If you want to be able to be, you know, in the all-star game or something, with a specific message and that's not going to be relevant at that time. Like you do need to know that ahead of time. So I think that was like, I would say research and timing is like such a big challenge um, for any marketer because 
we don't know what we don't know. And then all of a sudden it might be too late to make an impact. Yeah. Um, so. And you have to be standing ready at all times for like yep. any, any shift or change that comes and everybody's looking at you, like expecting you to have a plan. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that's a, it's, it's a good problem to have though, because I think, you know, I'd rather be busy than bored and so definitely in the right field. Um, yeah. but I think it's, it's something that is definitely taken, um, or maybe just not considered as much as it should be like that research angle is, is super important. Um, how are people feeling? You know, can we get some focus groups? Can we get some interviews? I think like, that's a big thing with what we're experiencing this week in student loans, right? Like, what do, what do people think? Do they think this was too much, too little? Are they going to wait to refinance now? Or are they not? You know, you don't, you don't, you, you don't really know those answers unless you do the research. Yeah. Well, Elise, you're incredibly impressive. Uh, I'm really honestly impressed by you. You're very smart. I can tell you're empathetic and you've got that left brain, right brain thing going. Take us Thanks. back to Elise the kid. I want to get, I want to understand who you are a little bit and kind of what makes you tick. Like, how did you become you? Just take us on a quick, quick journey. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that you called out the left brain, right brain, because that I feel like was Elise the kid to a T. Um, I think when I was really little, we moved around like a ton, not, not huge moves, but it was just, you know, went from apartment in the city to a house here to a house there, moved to New Jersey. Oh, you um, grew up in the city. You grew up in New York. I, I, I was in New York until I was seven and then in Queens. And then we moved to a suburb of New York and then moved to New Jersey. And so I think in that, in that young period of time where I was starting kindergarten, first grade, and, um, I, I, I went to a couple different schools. And so I don't think it made me a loner by any sense, but I think it was, you know, I never really had for those first couple schools, I never really had like best friends that were over all the time. Um, I loved video games. I loved computers. I would try to set up any electronic my family got. Um, I feel like when I did get to like middle school, high school, I was always like the one burning my friends, CDs and DVDs and like figuring out all that stuff. But then I think also like little Elise, like loved to draw, loved music. Um, I was not good at drawing, but I loved music, loved singing, tried my hand at dancing, all those things. So it was like, I was very much always this like in between of, I love all this techie stuff that is just like, it, it's, it, it's a process and it works and you just dig into it and do it. And then a lot of that more creative stuff, um, was super interesting to me as well. And I think that obviously was like, there's probably a bunch of different careers that need a combination of both, but I think marketing is a really seamless fit for that. Um, and then I think over the, over the pandemic too, I think little Elise came back out because like everyone, I was sitting at home and I was like, all right, I need a new hobby or I need, I need something to show for this time. Right. And, um, I discovered digital illustration, like in Adobe in AI, because I was like, this is, this is perfect for me. It's like a tool that I have to learn and be an expert in. And it, it's a program, but at the same time, it's like drawing and being creative and thinking of gifts I could make people or cards I could make people and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so it was such a good like marriage of the two things I love to do and in marketing too. It's like, I love the creative stuff. I love thinking about people, how they feel, but I love platforms and data and you know, any, any type of like process as well. 
Um, so yeah, I think the left brain, right brain definitely was, was with me from the beginning to now. And I, yeah. I love that question. Were you good in school? Like, did you get A's? A's and B's? Um, you know what? It's funny. It was like a it was like a downward trajectory. I feel like I was super, super good when I was younger. And then I think when I got to high school, I was like, there's more to life. And I and it slipped a little bit, I think. Yeah. In high school. Yeah. I think my parents would agree. Um, but yeah, it started. I I was always really good student. Um, and then I think in high school it was like, you know, I I have more stuff to do. I have friends with cars. I've got, you know, I'm I'm not as focused. Um, and then I think in college, I, I picked it back up to trying really, really hard because I was like, you know, this is, this is a lot of money and a lot of time at, at, uh, at a four-year school. And the stakes are higher. Yeah. Stakes are higher. I better do well. So, yeah. Um, and did you study marketing in school? Did you get, was marketing your first, you went right to marketing. I went right to marketing. I actually did a double major in marketing and management because um, I loved, you know, even from a young age, I feel like I, I started working when I was like 14 or whenever the age is in New Jersey that you can work legally. Um, and I think that I love training people. I love, you know, camaraderie, culture, all culture before we call it culture, all those things. Um, and so I was just like, I'm going to do both because I feel like management will come in handy. Um, and it really has, like, I think on the agency side where I was for a better part of the last decade. I had huge teams by the time I left, you know, huge teams of people and and everyone is different. Everyone learns differently. Everyone needs expectations communicated to them in a different way or coaching in a different way. Um, so I was really happy that I had that. And I also think, you know, management and studying management gives a lot of purview into how people think and act and behave, which helps marketing too. So yeah. it was a good decision. But my my you're seventeen like, year old self made a good decision. <laughs> you're like a psychologist mixed with a technologist, kind of. Yes, I love that. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Ernest because you said something on the pre-call which I thought was really interesting and inspiring. That you're excited that you can apply your powers at Ernest for good. Tell us about Ernest. Like, like what? Why are you so excited to be there? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think. Ernest is um, Ernest is a, first and foremost a, a private student loan company. Um, but I but I have to say that you know I went in I went in knowing the mission and knowing that the mission of the company as a whole was to make higher education more accessible and affordable for everybody where where they could. Um, and and it was very much focused on helping students versus taking in revenue from funding loans the way a bank would, right? It was, it was the, when I came into the company, I realized off the bat, like, wow, like, yes, as much as everything is a business, it's a business, but this is way more about having and earning happy customers and keeping their trust with something that is such a huge decision that we're asking 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds to make um, when they're going to school, taking out tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to afford this higher education. And I think a lot of times loan companies in general will look at one factor of your financial history and whether that's the assets your family has or your credit score, they look at one isolated factor. And typically that will contribute to a cycle. If you don't have a good credit score or if you don't have a ton of assets, 
then you can't get the loan that secures you the higher education that enables you to make get the job that makes you that money to et cetera. So it, it perpetuates this cycle and earnest um, creates more of a holistic lending profile about the consumer before making a decision and um, looks at, you know, lots of other things like just payment behavior, um, credit score, of course, but lots of other facets and factors, earning potential over the course of your career, et cetera. And um, they enable students to, there's no fees at all, not even origination fees, anything like that, early payoff, none of that, um, not even late fees. But I think it enables the students to come in and feel like they are in control and taking control of their their debt or their their loans, however they look at it, um, with flexible payment plans, you know, really competitive rates. And I, when I started, I was like, wow, this is, um, this is so much more focused on making sure that we are getting people into a good situation versus driving profits. And I thought that was really refreshing. And even this week with the decision about, um, you know, loan forgiveness, um, our CEO said, you know, it doesn't matter that that they didn't refinance with us or get forgiveness with us. Our mission is to make it more affordable and accessible for students to go to college, and this helped them. So it's a win. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Like that's our that's still our mission. It's still a, a win for everybody. Um, yeah. And so I think that perspective, that sentiment, that really flows throughout the company is like just so amazing. And I'm so so happy that I work that they're trusting me. Number one with the with the marketing program here, um, and number two that I'm like working somewhere where it truly is all about the end consumer. Um, we look into every review, every piece of feedback we get, we all read it, we all dig in. Um, and it really is such a, an awesome place to be. So I'm really, That's really awesome. Lucky. Are you guys nonprofit? No, we're not nonprofit. Um, but we are a, it's actually a great company in general, I think to, work for as well as be a part of as, as a lender. Um, after the pandemic, they kind of closed their Bay Area office and now we're 100% remote. Um, and it's I've never seen a company that's been so prepared for a remote workforce. Um, everything is super seamless, super efficient. And even my onboarding, I was so blown away by how structured and, and awesome everything was designed for me. Um, and so I think there's just like, it's just been an awesome place to to work. But also, I think it's a really great um, company to be a consumer of, too. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It, and it, it's always great to hear about companies that actually do good or do yes. well or yes. like do, do well and do good. So, yeah, that's uh, I would agree. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap here. I've got a okay. couple last questions for you. All right. Lending if round. you were to start a side hustle, which I have a feeling you might already have one, but if you started <laughs> a new one, what would it be? Um, I don't already have it, but I do have an idea of it. Um, if I were to start a side hustle, I've always loved real estate. I've always been very, very interested in real estate and design. Like I told you, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and I, you know, used to go to the shore all the time and I love the shore, but I feel like some of the houses in the neighborhoods down there could use a little bit of, of zhuzhing up maybe if you will. Um, and so I have this idea of, of, you know, buying a bunch of really small rundown beach houses. I'm talking like one bedroom, really little 
and kind of creating this side hustle of like the little the little beach house and making them these much you know I would say cuter Catskills-esque type designs um, mm-hmm. and trying to kind of grow out this like just not even huge but like that would be like my dream would be to have the the capital and the time and the means to do something like that at down the shore and create these like very cute little beach houses where like a couple or a small family could just get away affordably. Um, but it's like a really aesthetically pleasing environment. So that's something I've always cool. thought would be fun. Cool. Yeah. And then uh, that does sound cool, actually. <laughs> Next question is top reads or top resources that have that have made an impact on you. Digiday is a big one. Um, I think Digiday is one that I, I started reading when I moved into digital and I was like, what is any of this? They used to do like a WTF section every day where they would do a glossary of all the crazy acronyms we use in mm-hmm. digital performance marketing. I don't know yeah. if they do it anymore, but that one was super helpful. Um, and then I love, love, love eMarketer and Statista. Um, I find that like, they're always there for me. Like I need, I need some obscure question answered and I type it in and they, and it's there. Um, I think Satisa, Satisa is a little more expensive. I think it's like $400 a year to have access to all the studies. Um, but eMarketer, I think is a little bit more affordable. You can get, you can get a login there and then they do let you see like a certain amount for free and, and you can pull visuals for free. Um, but those are hugely helpful. And then when you're making decks and building things you know i love on the on the other side of the brain i love you know like pixels and noun project and all of that kind of stuff to find like just really compelling imagery to drive your point home um i would say what i use those, those sites the much how do you it's spell called it? pexels um okay. it's a site where you can get free stock imagery without watermarks or backgrounds um so i feel like i love to I'm the kind of person that when I'm building a presentation, like I have to get the visuals right before I can move on. Whereas I feel like a lot of other people just go through and then go back. Um, right. I'm like, no, I love, I love to get a, a layout of what I'm doing here. So Pexels always helps me there. And then um, Noun Project is a site with icons for like literally anything you could ever think of. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that icons are silly, but they're also, you know, a way to just, take words off of a page and have something inherently understood, um, which is super helpful for performance marketers that need to present to people who don't necessarily know a ton about yeah. performance marketing. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are, those are, cool. I feel like the sites I'm always using. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Elise. Well, this is great. We're going to include uh, those resources that you mentioned, as well as some of the other things and a link to awesome. earnest.com in the show notes. If Perfect. you're listening and you guys are loving this, please drop us a like or a comment, share it with a friend. Elise, I would love to have you back on the show at some point. If you do. Sure. So yeah, I would love to. And, uh, and I think that's a wrap unless, well, how, how can people uh, find you online? Um, yeah, so, so the best way would probably be Instagram. Um, I'm actually at Emerama on Instagram. It's my maiden name. We'll, we'll drop it in the show notes. Um, I post a lot there about just like in general, um, marketing, but also earnest. Um, but then, yeah, if you want to hear more or want to connect, you can reach out to Chris and we can figure out a way to make it happen. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Elise. And thank you everybody for listening until next time. We will see you later.
And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 